Well, hello everyone. Welcome to Freedom International live stream. We did have a little difficulty at the beginning, but we always find a way so we can be with you and connect with you. And today we are very excited because we have always this controversial topic that is extremely important. And we have Catherine what backed with us. So may the best thing is I'll just let Kathy introduce herself to you because she, you guys need to keep following her, all right? Because she's been in the front, uh, front line helping doctors and other professionals and podcasters like us, so we could continue to bring what's true. So, Catherine, how about go ahead and update all the audience, even those people who know who who has heard from you, and you know to tell them what you've been doing. Thank you. Uh, I'm an American writer and paralegal. And I have been doing, for the last couple of years, legal research and writing about the way that the U.S. government, Congress, and presidents transferred the military's biochemical weapons and warfare programs into the Health and Human Services Department as public health emergencies and emergency use authorized military countermeasures to disguise that what they're doing is an intentional global genocide. And I write at my website, which is a substack called Bailiwick News, B-A-I-L-I-W-I-C-K News um, on substack. And so I'll make sure that Kathy's information, is especially her substack, you know, you, it will be in the post notes and every and, and other information that Catherine will share with us. So the, the topic that I really wanted Catherine to focus, although it will always be connected to many other subtopics, and sometimes it's really like global topics, of course, is about the um, CDC's recommended biochemical weapons schedule. And I got this idea when I received that Substack from him, from her, and it says, stay as out of date as possible on the CDC recommended biochemical weapon schedule. And for me, this is timely because as a nurse, um, when I used to work for corporations, by around this time, everyone is already thinking about the flu shots and other, all kinds of shots for fall, like as if, the doom is coming, you know, and and I and you know it, it is true that we're challenged when the weather is cold. But instead of thinking about how to keep us strong, and here we are ready to just submit our bodies to be injected with something that's always been questionable, not just in the last three years, but even before. So okay, so it is so perfect. So I, but I wanted Kathy to. This question is like so. Kathy, what, why must we encourage them to not to follow? And, you know, as, again, this will be like against the policy or the recommendations when you, as, as a nurse, everyone said, oh, make sure you, you, you do the vaccinations or you do all this. So go ahead and lead us the conversation, please. So my take on it is that it's a, it's a, another part of transferring the public discussion out of the idea that this is medical advice and medical treatment and into the framework where this is self-defense advice because these are biochemical weapons, not 
prophylactics, not treatments, not protective in any way. Um, and one of the ways I've been thinking about it the last few days is, I think I might be wrong about this, but the way people talk about keeping track of your numbers for cholesterol and saying you need to bring your numbers down, you can also think about it as trying to keep your biochemical weapons numbers down. And as you said, like they've always been unclear about whether there's any benefit and they the authorities have always covered up the adverse effects and deaths that have come from them. But because they did such a good job covering them up, most people, most of the last 30 or 40 years have gotten the ones that are re recommended by the authorities. And I have done that too. And I can count the numbers that I got when I was a child in the 70s and 80s. And I can count the ones that I got as an adult. Like when I was pregnant, they would say, oh, you should get a, a booster of whatever um, right up until the flu shots, I think in 2019. I may have even taken the one in 2020 because I wasn't quite up to, I didn't know. Um, and so I think going forward, it might be an interesting conversation piece for people to talk to each other and say like, what's your number of biochemical weapons? Mine's at like in the low twenties, whereas some kids now, the way the schedule is written, I think it's getting up into like the sixties, um, depending on how old the child is and when they started with the, the schedule. And and it's I think it's it is important for our audience and for the general public, Catherine, that when the truth is that when certain illness or certain um, increase of conditions, whether it's you know local, there's always like an environment, a context around it, and so it's like people have to really think, wow, if personally, you continue to be not as healthy and you think you you're being healthy because you subject yourself to all these required um, bioweapons, then, you know, maybe it's high time to like, oh, maybe things don't work. So you can have, it's okay to be different from others. Because mm -hmm. that's another thing that people say, oh, you, you always have to follow with others and be welcome in that, in that group. And so at least that's one thing I have realized is I am contented to be different. So mm -hmm. if people would want to do this for their body, I, that's on you, but leave me alone. And you referred in your article, you did refer to the Brooke Jackson case. What's the, and then then, then connected it with Naomi Wolf's, um, you know, the, the daily cloud request or, or filing a case. So can you connect all of that? Because it's it's so powerful the way you connected everything. Um, I don't really know where to enter that point. Naomi Wolf is the leader or the CEO of Daily Clout. Daily Clout hired a law firm, um, John Howard's law firm, to file a letter with the Department of Justice, which they sent at the beginning of July asking the Department of Justice to investigate the things that Daily Clout has found about how Pfizer 
conducted the clinical trials or the things that were presented to the public as clinical trials, which we now know were not actually clinical trials. They were fraudulent. They were a pretense intended only to convince people that clinical trials were happening when in fact they were not. Um, so they filed this letter with the Department of Justice. And when I saw it, I was confused because they are making the exact same arguments and presenting the same information that Brooke Jackson found and presented to the Department of Justice after she had presented it to the Department of Defense, which was the counterparty to the contracts with Pfizer, and after she had presented the same evidence to the FDA. So she presented it to the FDA in September of 2020, which was before the rollout. She presented it to the DOD in December of 2020, which was just as the rollout was happening. And then it went to the Department of Justice by late December, early January, 2021. Um, and the Department of Justice just sat on it for a year because they are in on the crime. They are facilitating the crime. They know exactly what's happening because they are part of the intentional genocide that's being run in this covert way. And so she was under a gag order for that whole year. That's when most people got their first or second um, doses. And then the, they had a year and the Department of Justice after that year in January, 2022 um, filed something with the judge saying, we're not going to prosecute this, which made sense from their perspective because they don't think it's a crime. They think that genocide is okay. Um, and so Brooke at that point had the right to bring the case on her own behalf, which she did. And so what I was confused about is why Naomi Wolf and Daily Clout are pursuing the exact same line of reasoning and asking the Department of Justice to do something that the Department of Justice has already made clear they are not going to do. Um, I have not had an answer from them about why they're doing that. Um, and I have speculations about why they're doing that. But the main point is that as the case carried through, Pfizer said, judge, you should dismiss this case because we, Pfizer, didn't do anything wrong. We did exactly what the Department of Defense asked us to do, which is pretend to do clinical trials and then produce these weapons to your specifications and slap our label on them and send them out. And that was in April of 2022. In October of 2022, the Department of Justice came back into the case and said, yes, we agree with Pfizer. They did do exactly what they were asked to do. We think the case should be dismissed. And then at the end of March 2023, the judge actually dismissed the case in, in support of what both Pfizer and the Department of Justice were saying. I make one more point. My overall point is now that we know all of that stuff, there's no reason to refile the same kind of case because cases from here on out should take into account what has been disclosed and what has been learned through Brooke Jackson's case, not pretend that that stuff didn't happen. And it's great that I you connected this because it's important really that we see the connection of everything. Because sometimes still people will say, oh, why would, why would uh, the government, why would CDC, why would World Health Organization you know, recommend something as a schedule when, you know, um, 
when they're supposed to be protecting the people. So you know, so why would they? If you, if if all the evidence is out there on our part and the people who are critical, and yet maybe half or more more than half of the population still don't see it. So now all of these are happening. It seems like people have to connect this, and it, that's why I wanted you to go into that. Now, what? What what do what do people have to really do now? Because when they are subjected for when they're encouraged more, or when their doctors tell them more, you know you need to do this, or or when they're at work, and because as it's the nurses and other doctors, they're usually mandated for even the flu vaccines. So, um, is there anything more that? we can do so that they will really like um, be more awake or just say, okay, this isn't good for me. Is there anything more we can do or they can do? Like right. one of the things I've put together is a notice of war crimes that people can print out from the website and take to their doctor's appointments. And it lays out this sequence of events that makes clear that these are not medical treatments, they are biochemical weapons. And it provides notice to the providers who are trying to push this thing that even if they didn't understand it or acknowledge it or see it before the point when the patient walks in with this notice of war crimes, they are unnoticed now. Now they have been given the information um, and it demands that the person shut down their vaccination program because it is complicit with war crimes. And it demands that the person that you're giving it to not enter any of your data about your vaccination status or lack of taking it into the electronic databases because of the way in which the healthcare databases are connected to the tax databases in each country, which are connected to the employment records to make it possible for the banks, the governments, and the employers to shut down your entire economic life for refusing to accept or submit to biochemical weapons. Um, so that's one thing people can do. And the bigger picture of that is understand that the retaliation will probably come. Like you will probably lose your job or lose your place in school unless and until enough people are doing this that the programs do get shut down and do get disconnected between the healthcare databases and the banks and the employers um, and the tax systems um because they do currently have the ability to do that to you so making a plan for what you're going to do instead is important and would you also connect this with uh, the bank of international settlement yes they're they're sort of the the top of the pyramid that's they they do the main reports, they do the main coordinating meetings. The coordinating meetings are non-public. The central bankers 
go to those meetings, discuss how they're going to set up the programs in each country, and then go back. And that's the source for like the, the nation state level reports. And there are tons and tons of reports where they just say flat out, this is what we're doing. This is how we're going to do it. This is often they try to say the timeline that they're going to do it on. I believe in the United States, they're doing an experiment or test run for a central bank digital currency this summer. I think I saw something the other day that Australia was doing a trial run too, and we'll probably try to roll it out as a real thing in fall. Um, and it's, they're not hiding it. They don't hide it. They, they don't care if people know because they don't think that people will resist enough to make any difference. Thank you for everything that you've been doing, Catherine. I'll pass it on first to Roy and I'll check if there people will text me some questions for you, okay? Thanks. Thanks, Chris. Hi, Catherine. So like with, with the currency that you, you know that they're doing and the global passports that the World Health Organization, it looks like it's all going to be connected. And then if you don't have your job, you don't get to do anything. And I mean, I've seen in the States especially, but it seems to be you know international. They're shutting down all the ATMs. The banks are closing. A lot of the banks are closing. So even though we're trying to fight this, it's hard to kind of get away from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, by design. So like with with kind of the circle that you're in and everything, what's the best way we can actually uh, tackle this? The circle that I'm in. Uh, it, it really is, in my view, non-compliance at the individual level, which aggregates, accepting that the consequence of that is going to be increasingly getting shoved further and further out, losing your banking, losing your house, losing your family, losing your job, losing your place in school, that that will continue for some period of time. And the other piece of it, because I come at this from a Catholic perspective is prayer. Like there, without divine intervention combined with these individual actions of non-compliance, in the aggregate, the resolution isn't going to come. I don't think either one of those two pieces can be left out. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, I, I, mean, it does. I mean, like with, because I mean, I, I, I've never complied with masks and everything regarding kind of the law, because mm -hmm. it's something that I'm, you know, delving down deep because I think a lot that's happened for the last couple of hundred years really but recently is like the trickery in words and everything and you know we heard the mandate but if you kind of look at black laws dictionary which they kind of use it's like you kind of have to confirm that you agree to this so in theory they can't push a mandate because you didn't sign anything agreeing to what they're doing mm -hmm. or they interpret they interpret every act of compliance as an implicit participation in the contract. Um, and they, they do have some, some vulnerabilities, like they want speed. That's why the injections are so important to them because they can do other ways of killing people, but it's much slower. It's like putting toxins in the food supply, putting toxins in the water, spraying toxins in the air, uh, 
messing with the economy so that people lose their jobs and have despair. And um, but the the injections speed it all up. And it seems to me, and other people have picked up on this, that they're on some kind of time frame. But the problem is the faster they push it, the more people can see it. And the flip side of that is the more people can see it and resist it, the harder it gets for them to have the deniability and to keep the speed increasing. Like everything is connected to their interest in having it look like people are participating in it willingly, which makes anything people do to make it clear that it's not voluntary, it's non-consensual, it's violent, it's abusive, it's coercive, all of these things, all of those things make it harder for them to keep going on the schedule that they've set for themselves. And like I'm, I'm seeing now that like they're pushing, they're doing a combined, because you mentioned the flu yourself. I mean, I know my, my mom got very ill from the flu shot a couple of years before this lockdown, but that's what they're trying to do now, like have a COVID shot yearly as well as the flu shot. And they're just pushing it at all ages. And it's it seems like everything is connected with your freedom to travel, to move, to do anything. They're kind of they're using dirty tactics to make people comply. And it's happened in the lock. What, what I've seen over the few years, a lot of people complied and they said, I want to travel. I want to go on holidays. And then they weren't allowed to do that. I want to, I don't want to be wearing a mask and they still had to wear the masks and everything. So I think the tricks and the sneakiness that they've done has come back to bite them because I mean, you probably saw it as well. The attacks that we get for exposing all of this, you know, a lot of people say, where's your tinfoil hat and all this, but it's, it's reducing a lot less. And there's now so many people coming out going, I regret getting yes. the jab, which means like, I mean, I've really delved deep realizing that I don't think any vaccine works like there's a the poison needle is a very good book you know Edward Jenner and everything and when you take off the layers and I'm not the only one doing that like I mean like I'm talking to doctors telling them you're supposed to have my best interest at heart how come you don't know this and they're in shock like because they're brainwashed from the start where they're kind Mm -hmm. of brought through a production line here's your kickbacks here's this here's that and but now there's even doctors that are, I mean, there was always a few fighting, but now there seems to be even more and they're even resisting. So I think it's just, we're at a critical point. It is getting worse. They're battering us with everything, but there, it looks like to me, there will be light at the end of the tunnel. Right. Yeah. Uh, that reminded me of what uh, something I wanted to say earlier is that like, we didn't know up until 2020 when everything was suddenly so much faster and so much more forceful which caused early people and later people to be like, wait a minute, why am I being rushed into this? Which it sort of like put people on alert to go looking for information. And so now you can sort of retroactively go back and see the things that people have been, like you said, looking into for the last century. Um, And they all lead to this same conclusion that from the beginning, vaccines have been intended and designed as this sort of covert poisoning. Um, but the the piece I didn't say earlier that seems relevant, especially with the, the thing they're calling the triple-demic, and they're going to say like coronavirus plus flu plus RSV, go and get your trivalent annual shot, is that 
they have written in a lot of places that they were doing the mRNA lipid nanoparticle project as a proof of concept for a platform that they believe is they are pitching to people as this is great because now we can just, as soon as we know of a new virus or whatever they want to do, they will plug it into their like computer genetic code and then spit out these new products. And that product, even if the ones up until 2020 didn't have that in, and some of them may have without people knowing, they have said very clearly, everything going forward is going to be on that same mRNA lipid nanoparticle platform. And that's why stopping right now saying, I've got whatever I got. I didn't know. I regret it, whatever. But now I do know that everything going forward is going to be on the same platform because that's what they set it up to make a pretext for getting people to use. That makes it much easier to understand that you can't comply anymore. Um, And to discredit that whole platform, the mRNA platforms, the DNA platforms, everything, which is another thing that like, I think they're trying to do some damage control and they have been for a few months, like, oh, maybe this one came out too fast, but we're gonna get it right. We're gonna tweak it and then it'll be fine. And the answer to that is no, it's never been fine. They've known since the mid nineties that anything, and Sasha Ladipova talks about this a lot. They, they have known that this is a dual purpose product that is probably much more heavily towards just the offensive weapon purpose because of what it does in the human body. And they've known that. They've known that since the mid-90s. They put it in weapons textbooks. So there's no way for that platform to be remediated in some way that would make it worthwhile to accept any product that they call a vaccine ever again. Like it's a military weapon, but those in the military tend to be the guinea pigs because they just give them a load of shots. Surely, I mean, because that's the problem. They can bring in martial law and everything, and how can we fight against guys that have all guns and weapons and tanks and all this? But surely the military are seeing their friends with massive side effects and because it's it's they're not exclusive. I've seen cases like that. And I mean, if that doesn't open their eyes to realize that hey, we're part of this experiment as well. And once they stand up and refuse to comply, it makes a big shift. Right. Yeah. So much of it goes back to how much the the Bank for International Settlements and the World Health Organization and their subdivisions want it to look calm and orderly and compliant, such that anything that breaks out of that narrative is bad for them and good for us. And- yeah. With, with, you know, in the legal realm then, like, you know, you mentioned the judge threw out the thing, but basically it's two, two bad boys in court together. It's a big game for everybody. But have mm-hmm. you seen any positive cases going on to, to tackle any of what's going on? Um, Yeah, I wrote about the, the U.S. government's prosecution of Dr. Kirk Moore. I published that today. Um because what's interesting about the cases where the government is prosecuting civilians is that it changes the calculus of what the government wants to do or not do as far as releasing evidence. So Kirk Moore's case is that he 
according to the U.S. government, received shipments of COVID-19 vaccine at his medical office in Utah and set up a system using post-it notes and phone calls so that patients could indicate that they did not want to get the actual injection. They wanted it to get flushed down in the sink or thrown in the trash. They wanted to get a vaccine card so that they could go and do whatever things they needed that for without taking the poison and also for their kids. But for the kids, they would give them an actual saline injection so that the kids would not know that they hadn't got it. And then they also would get cards. Um, and that's the government's allegation that by doing that, he and his staff mis misused or, or destroyed or otherwise improperly handled government property that was delivered to them. The problem is he can, I think, defend himself by saying the products that we got were not vaccines and you can't prove that they were. And we now know that they can't prove that that's what they were because we now understand how they perverted the entire regulatory system so that there is no chain of custody records showing anything about pharmaceutical manufacturing or distribution compliance. And so if the government can't produce any evidence, they will have to drop the case. They probably know that. They're probably going to drop the case at some point anyway, because they don't want to get to the point where they have to put up or shut up um, and reveal that all of this was a fraud. But those kinds of cases are interesting in the way that they, because the government kind of does want to get Kirk Moore and other people like him to be scared that they're going to be prosecuted. They do want to push the cases forward, but not to the point where the defendants actually have access to the evidence that they'll need to defend themselves, which gets into the, which opens up the entire fraud to, to public understanding. So that's, that's a good case that I'm interested in. Um, and I'm kind of also watching the George Watts case. He's not any relation to me. He's a 24 year old that took the shots because his school required it. And the Children's Health Defense filed a case against the DOD. So that's, there's a lot of good things about that case. There's a lot of things I have serious reservations about for that case too. But the good things are they named the Secretary of Defense and the Department of Defense as defendants instead of going after Pfizer. Um, so that's that's another good one that I will be watching and probably writing about more. And I like because I've heard of a few people that were doing that. I know the doctors were agreeing they had to pay pay people, you know, to pretend they had the vaccine. But then apparently at the airports that they know, whatever the technology inside the vax that you know, nanotechnology, mRNA, whatever it is, but they know the people that have got it and those that don't. I don't know anything about that myself. That's not something I've looked yeah. into, so I can't address. I have heard that, but I yeah. haven't like, looked into which countries are doing it or how what happens after they say that you didn't get it. I don't know. Okay, okay. And I'm just curious because, like, both Grace and myself, we got kicked off uh, YouTube, and I'm just constantly like, I I see my normal personal YouTube channel going backwards, my crypto channel going backwards. Like, I don't get any engagement on the different things. What about yourself? What kind of uh, censorship have you experienced? Um, not a whole lot because I decided very early on that if Twitter 
and those kinds of spaces were going to be a controlled controlled space that kicked people out I don't want to be on it anyway so I I joined Twitter probably for like three days maybe in 2019 and in addition to just I don't want to be participating in this thing that I think is mostly about narrative control um I also find it weird like I was only on Facebook for like a week like 10 years ago because I was just confused by the whole having social interactions that aren't actually social interactions with people that I haven't seen for 20 years. I don't know. The whole thing confused me. So I'm not on social media like that. Substack has been great so far. I think that it is going to go until the powers of E decide to shut it down. But for now, they have never done anything to like suppress any of my work or censor any of my work. And sometimes weird things happen with like subscribers or people are subscribers and then they get kicked off and they have to re-sign up but it seems to be pretty minor um and as far as i know there's only been occasional like outages where people just can't get to it at all and then it, it does come back up so i just try to save all of my stuff in different formats um i post pdf versions at a wordpress site and that's about it for what's happened to me personally thank you very much captain and, and i pass it back to grace because maybe she's some uh questions from there it's good it's um it's awesome that you found those cases that you you're following catherine because it's it, it it's truly exciting when we see cases that we could learn from yes okay? and and for now i don't you're my go-to when it comes to legal things like that, because I truly trust you, you, you and your work. So thank you for that. Now, if the, so the question is that if the Bank of International Settlements is the financial arm and the World Health Organization is the military arm, and then the, what's that, the United Nations is the political arm. So, Who's controlling all mm. these three different arms? Okay. I think it's the private owners of the Bank for International Settlement. The central banks are privately owned. They are not publicly owned. They are not publicly controlled. They don't work in the public interest, even though they say that they do. So I think it's the owner families, which the shorthand for that is the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers. Um, but I mean, there's other families involved, but those are the ones that have been most well-documented as being connected. And they do, all of the families who do it, do an excellent, excellent job of keeping their names out of the documents and out of the press. They do not have public profiles. Um, so yeah, that's, I had another thought, but I forgot it. Oh, okay. So it's that there's an oligarchy that really controls that. And so oh, it's no, one, one more point about that. I just actually, I just finished reading Adam Labor's book, Tower of Basil. We can hold it up. Ooh, Tower of Basil. Um, yeah. It's, it's one of the only books about the history of the Bank for International Settlements. And you have to read it and read between the lines because he will quote officials with the BIS saying, here's why we did this thing. And if you 
look at it in the context of what we now know from the last three years, you can see like that was a pretext. That was a lie. That's false. They did it because they control like both sides of each war. They control both sides of financial collapses, including the country that collapses and the creditors that are involved in that. They control all of the things financially. Um, but the key thing for them is that they the BIS was formed by an international treaty that places it legally outside of any country's laws. It's not subject to Swiss laws, even though that's where it's headquartered. It's not subject to US laws, even though that's where a lot of the activity um, sort of gets coordinated. And they are therefore a super, supranational, supralegal entity. However, those treaties could be destroyed, basically. They're, the treaties were conducted under um, the U.S. law. I'm going to forget what it's called, but there's a 1945 law um, that made the conditions for these kinds of international treaties that set up the BIS, set up the World Health Organization, set up the UN. If Congress, theoretically, repealed that enabling law and withdrew the United States from all of these treaties, it would erode that untouchable power that the BIS and the WHO and the UN operate from now. But for now, they're totally outside the law. I, yeah, I heard that before as well. And that, to understand it, it seems very scary, like as if we can do anything. However, as you said, we go above all these other things because we are under the care of that divine being and we are divine beings ourselves. So we, so it's like we use that power. Now, when, when it comes to, uh, let's see, I was going to ask, so is the depopulation just one of the main agenda? Because there's always like a question, why would they want to depopulate when people make, we contribute, we contribute to their wealth. So because they use people and if people are too sick, then they, we continue to use all everything that they they said we should use for our health. And I'm just saying our, but I know I have my own personal health program up, apart from them. So, but we, that's what the people can grasp. We said, why would they they do that? And and lately I was just thinking that when you know you see these movies coming out like The Sound of Freedom and uh other movies like as if it's now telling us that, oh, these things has been happening. When you said they are controlling from both sides, mm -hmm. it's it's such a mind boggling game, isn't it? And so yeah. how, I, I guess my question is, yeah, how do we always respond to people to make them understand when it comes to that? It's because in the sound of freedom, people say, but it's good, it's out there. Uh, then the other hand, but hey, look, they're only telling you little this much. If yeah. it's in the movie. They're only telling you little this much. And also there is opening now for them to use it as a pretext for digital chipping of children. 
as um, look, if you don't want your kid to disappear into the system, then then you should get them chipped. Um, my response to people who, I don't think you can bring people to see it until their own direct experience makes them have questions. And then what you can do is answer the specific questions that they have as those questions come up for them. I don't think you can you can force people who really don't want to see it and are too upset by looking at it to focus because I think their self-defense mechanisms are healthy in a way. Like it is overwhelming. And until you build up whatever strength or stamina or faith, whatever you need to be able to look at it, looking at it will make it harder. Like it'll make everything about your life harder. Um, but that whether, why they don't want us around because they make money off of us. I don't think it's about the money for them. I think it's about the control and there is no limit to how much control they want. They, they just want the control for the sake of having control. Um, so. And that kind of reminded me that it could even be beyond the control. I mean, turn away because there's a good strong conversation and data that it is just playing with our DNA or trying to play with how we could they could you know create whatever they believe in satanically mm -hmm. so is it that's that's been happening so so these people running it um I guess that just as others would say, they may not be all human beings. Mm, they're certainly, certainly diabolically aligned. Uh, yeah. And and uh, what's what's for in your in in your knowledge? What's the role of the Zionist the in Israel in terms of these bioweapons, because the, you know, with with all the proxy wars going, that's the obvious money making, right? Mm -hmm. So, what money do you think of that? I don't, I don't focus on any one particular, like secret society. I, I got asked the same or similar question a few months ago, and I, I do trace it all back to the BIS, okay, and the World Health Organization and the UN, but they can use lots and lots of secret societies to foment conflicts when they want conflicts, to do coordinated activities when they want to do coordinated activities. Um, Sasha has a good point that I really like, which is that all the people who are involved in it don't necessarily align on every single goal. So there's some hope for the rest of us in internal conflicts for them. Um, she had, I don't remember the name of the post she did a few months ago, but it, it was really good. It was like, some of them are really in it for the money and they thought that it was one thing. And then as they learned that it's about something else and that they're not making money, then they start to not be participating in it as much. And so there, there are chinks, like gaps in the armor like that. Um, 
but I don't, I don't focus on any specific Zionists or Muslim Brotherhood or Mossad or Freemasons or like those are involved, but they're not like the focus of how I think about it. You you know your form that you have in your Substack and in your website, I I I read it and it's really very good and powerful. Um, have the parents reach out to you? Um, no. but, but I'm sure they've checked it and downloaded it perhaps. Like you know, Roy is a is a father and um, I, I'm sure she he can you know um he can share stories on how he was able to at least protect his children, especially his son. So, because that right now it's there, <laughs> you know, the question that people, critical people ask is, it's not even how, where, how do you want to raise your children? But it's like, where do you want to raise your children? Mm -hmm. uh, that's with all the demands, with all the mandatory thing. Mm -hmm. And how, how you, you how's your children? You still have young children, and you still deal no more. Okay. No, I have older older kids. Older kids, yeah. And how about you, Roy? In well, like my youngest child, he's nine, and I just kept telling him everything that's going on. And when everybody was wearing masks, I was like, "We're not doing that." And we'd go into the supermarket and we were the only people not wearing it. And then you'd see somebody else and then you just smile at each other. And one time coming out of a, like a shopping center, I could see the police coming towards me and I had the trolley bringing it out and they just started screaming at me in Polish. So I just kind of ignored them. And next day screamed again. And I just turned around and I said, are you talking to me? And they kind of were shocked and he said mask. And I went, oh yeah, just turned around and walked out. And that was the end of it. And mm -hmm. My son saw that and I keep telling him, don't fear this. And then like when I'm learning something, I mean, the dangers, I'll show him the dangers of wearing a mask. I show him all the side effects and stuff like that. Because sometimes people think, oh, the kids don't, you know, they don't understand this. Like he's in a kind of a, a school system that's copying the Finnish system. But yet there was, I believe, five of the kids that did their parents did get the kids jabbed which i thought was terrible but everybody you know i i you know if you want to do it yourself grand but to push it on a child but them children were sick an awful lot they were out sick the whole time and i was yeah. saying to him do you think that you know so he could even see that and i think a lot of people think oh oh he's a child don't tell him whatever but if we do that and we don't say nothing then they're the next generation to go through the exact same thing, get all the jabs and everything. And you, you, we were talking about the number of jabs, because like, we may, it's actually 72 is the amount of jabs that they're giving children now. And like, even when you're mixing, say, a flu jab and COVID, not only there's no tests on the COVID, there's supposed to be on the, the flu jab, which we know there isn't, and you know all the toxins in it. But is there any uh, trials done on a combination of this concoction? Absolutely not. So like, how can you go away and trust the government that has been lying forever, trust the pharmaceuticals that have been fined for billions constantly and say, yeah, I trust them, give it to me. Like, that's kind of on you at this stage, like for the those, like at the start, everybody, I mean, all my life, I, you know, I went away, if I was going on holidays, they'd give you a jab and I mean, I will never, ever get a jab again after the investigation that I've done during this lockdown. 
Yeah. Rent over. <laughs> so, and and Catherine, since you've also been, you're, you really have that critical mind. And so is there any, uh, which more, is there any bank that you would recommend to people to trust right now? Bank. I would say the most local you can get, the credit unions and the local banks. Um, I think people are starting to try to, well, people for a while have been trying to come up with banking systems at the local level that are not connected into the um, the main international system. I think people will be trying to do that more and more. Um, my own sense of how things are going to go is that they're going to successfully get the CB central bank digital currencies going for some period of time, and then it won't work anymore. And it, the the chaos is the more the more important or whatever. I think the chaos is going to be the more striking thing of that transition period between them getting it up and then it falling apart. Um, and all of the cascading effects of having a financial system that's fallen apart. Um, but there are also there are states in the United States now that are trying to set up um, state gold bullion depositories and state banks because they're thinking about how to get out of this centralized system. So if you have one of those in your state and can support it, or if you can contact the people in your state who might be interested in Developing those, that's a good idea. Um, but yeah, anything that the smaller and the more close to local control, the better. And the bigger and more centralized, the worse, the more to get out of it and not support it. Do you have any advice for readers and for those who want to research on when you know when they look at into certain cases, what do they have to pay attention if it's something that is uh, would be beneficial for people to look at or not? I ask this question because um, there even in science sometimes they always say, "Oh, that's science, that's science, that's science, that's research." It's because we most of us weren't really taught to look at how a research should be read. So when it comes to legal things that you looked at, is there any key points so that when we're there, we're hearing something or we're reading something, there things that we should be like worried about or be doubtful about or be cautious about? Because you're That's very good. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. That's a good question that I have not thought through an answer yet. I've done some one posts about how to do legal research into statutes and regulations and how to follow the numbers back and forth and the dates of amendments back and forth to trace how things started as one thing and then built into what we have now. Um, even cases that you can learn something from cases that are well-written and well carried out and also from cases that are badly written and badly carried out. Like regardless of how a case ends up, there's something to be learned from it about 
how the judges are construing the law, how the lawyers are manipulating the law, how the lawmakers thought about it when they were writing the law. Um, I would say that. And I think that the motion to dismiss stage is usually the most interesting and the most revealing. I think I thought that before Brooke Jackson's case, but I definitely think it since Brooke Jackson's case, because that is the point at which the enemy or the opponent has to pull together their reasons for doing the thing that they should not be doing. And it's very revealing when, when they have to actually put that in writing and, and send it to the, to the plaintiff and to the judge. They, they, and that's why it was so powerful what Pfizer did in Brooke Jackson's case when they said, look, our defense is we did exactly what we were told to do. What we were told to do was fraud. That's a paraphrase, but that is that is what they revealed. And that sort of clicked everything else that had happened into place because there is a truth. There is a true story about all of the stuff that's happened. It's hard to get to because it's covered with all of the the lies and the camouflage and the misdirection. And we're never going to have all of it, but we already have enough of it to understand the big picture of what's going on and to prepare for the next steps that they very clearly tell us they're going to do. That's a good question. Thank yeah, thank, thank you, Catherine. Um, is there anything more that you would want to, you know, tell the, our audience and um, other than letting them know where to get in touch with you? No, I don't think so. That was... So the most important thing, I guess, if if you adhere to the schedule, it's on you. And when I say it's on you, whoever takes it, don't complain or don't be surprised if other things happen for yourself or for your family. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's just the simple thing for that. And Roy, any last words? Just, I suppose, on the law. Because, I mean, I'm trying to go down the sovereignty route and I'm even seeing that the, the, does the court have jurisdiction? Because the reality is we know that the courts are so corrupt. I've experienced that myself. I've had over 100 court cases. And a lot of the times I'm listening to people saying about the Black Laws Dictionary, but there's on volume 12 now or something like that. I've got volume one. I've got a few different ones. But is that something... The volume one is the best because it seems like they've even doctored that to water that down on the kind of later modules. Or is there a different kind of law that we should be studying when we're trying to fight them out, outside of their own corrupt system? Yeah, I, I am aware of the sovereignty movement. I get a lot of emails and essays and links from people who are active in it. I don't cover it myself and I haven't done an in-depth explanation of why I don't follow that particular line of thinking. Um, but the surface level reason is that I do think these specific congressional acts and executive orders and declarations and determinations and regulatory changes matter a lot 
And if those had not been done, or if those can be repealed, some semblance of valid, legitimate rule of law can be restored. And the sovereignty approach, it seems to me, calls all of it into question so much that there is no foundation on which to build, even if we could get this particular genocide program stopped and repeal the laws that enabled it. And so that's why I focus on especially that 1969 to the present U.S. statutory, regulatory, and executive slash administrative law system, because it's, in my opinion, very important that we don't destroy the foundational legitimacy or credibility of having rule of law at all in the attempt to get this program stopped, because I want there to be something something there when we get this cleared out. And I think there is something valid there to rebuild on when we get this cleared out, but that's why I hesitate and and don't don't endorse the sovereignty movement as like, you have to go back 2000 years. You have to understand that nothing ever has been legitimate or valid. The state has no, I, I don't agree with that. Um, I don't know. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Thank you very much, Catherine. Pass back to Grace. And thank you to everyone. And you can reach Catherine Watt definitely at her Substack, Bailiwick's News, right? And correct? Yep. Bailiwick, B A I L I W I C K news.substack.com. And I know some of you have listened to our previous conversation with uh, Catherine, which had a lot, lot of views. And so endorse that, endorse this, because that's the best thing for now that we could do for others as we individually we do for ourselves. And it will be uploaded at Roy Colon's also um, platform. In You can find both of us in Bichu, Trumbull, um, all the audio, podcasts and you know except for youtube it's okay because we substituted it with other things and all right and she like share and do subscribe do um put your money where your mouth is as they say because um like for kathy and these are all that's the main bread for people who do these things okay so thank you rumble too i just started it like a month ago it's kg watt Okay, perfect. So rumble. Yeah. And if we didn't have any technology challenge earlier, Catherine, we would be streaming in rumble because I've been trying that already, but it's okay for next time. Okay. We just have to be flexible. Thank you. And source bless to everyone. Thank you. Take care. Bye.